You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good afternoon. It is Sunday, September 22nd, and you're listening to the College Football Daily, dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. This is a Sunday edition, so we're going to go a bit long on week four's action. My name is Trey Scott, and I'm joined today by 24-7 Sports College writer, Chris Hummer. Chris, what's going on? Now, you just got back from College Station for a uh, pretty good Auburn versus Texas A&M game that I'm going to ask you about after we lead off with Jim Harbaugh. You wrote a, a pretty harsh column. Uh, on Harbaugh after Saturday's sort of disastrous loss to Wisconsin. Uh, Michigan has an inept offense at this point. Chris, they got blown out. It was 35 to zero at a point. I want to ask you the million dollar question, or I guess in this case, the $15 million question is Jim Harbaugh coaching for his job right now. Yeah, I, I think his buyout is a little large for him to be coaching for his job. As you just said, it's $15 million. Also, if, as many problems as Jim Harbaugh's had at Michigan, and there have there have been many. Owen four against Ohio State isn't great. He's now one and eight against top ten teams in his career at Michigan. Um, all those things speak to a coach who just isn't getting it done on the biggest stage. But Michigan still has what I would consider maybe not a top ten coach anymore, but certainly a top twenty five coach in college football. And I realize well, that Michigan. Yeah, but you have to remember, Michigan has some, like, people don't want to talk about this, but Michigan has some job limitations that other places probably don't think about. Michigan doesn't really produce a lot of recruits per capita. Given the way Ohio State's recruiting right now, they're not going to recruit at a national level like the Buckeyes are in the same conference. I know they have Nike money, and I know they've got the Jordan brand, which is great. They've got a lot of tradition, which is great. But it's not like you can sell recruits and a lot of recent success either. So there are some hurdles that Jim Harbaugh has kind of been able to overcome, at least from a recruiting perspective, early in his career. And while I, I'm certainly a little surprised he hasn't managed to put this together a little faster, we also have to remember this is year one of Josh Gaddis' offense. Don Brown is replacing, I believe, three first or second round draft picks on his defense. I might, it might even be four because I believe uh, – one of the corners were in the first three rounds and there's just like, there's a lot of stuff going on that doesn't excuse a loss like this to Wisconsin. But I, I am of the opinion you should probably give Jim Harbaugh a little bit more time. This might, this answer might change in a couple of weeks, but right now I'm not ready to put Jim Harbaugh fully on the hot seat. No. And, and you know, for, for sake of full disclosure, I'm not either, but it's uh wanted to lead with that. Certainly the most compelling thing I think to happen from Saturday and, and for the record, Harbaugh's buyout dropped from 15 to 10 next year. I don't know if he's going to turn it around. The Josh Gaddis hire hasn't, hasn't worked out. You know, I think Shea Patterson's a little injured. Maybe right now he's limited. We'll see. I think, I think this will be, I think Michigan will be the story of the week in college football over the next few days. Uh, we should probably spend a little time on Wisconsin though, because I feel like maybe it's the nature of the Badgers as a, you know, a mid market program that, People are forgetting or really, I guess, just not appreciating the fact that they steamrolled pretty much a top 10 team. I mean, 30, it was 35 to zero. It was 35 to zero. Wisconsin now 
is a college football pl- playoff dark horse. And unlike Wisconsin iterations of the past, Chris, they, they're going to be able to put the skins on the wall because they got kind of fortunate with the Big Ten record or schedule this year. You know, they got Michigan. They're going to get to play Ohio State. That's what they want if you're Wisconsin. And then you would maybe get to play one of those two teams again probably Ohio state and Indianapolis. So there's, there's no chance that, you know, Wisconsin wouldn't make the college football playoff. Do you think this team's good enough to do that? Maybe just run the table or lose just one game. I, I don't know about run the table. Having the idea of having to beat Ohio state twice in a single season is, is pretty difficult to think about when you're Wisconsin, especially given that they go on the road to Ohio state in October. But I do think if they finish the season with one loss and win the big 10 championship, have a really strong argument kind of depending on how the rest of the country shakes out. Notre Dame losing opens up a spot last night for teams that we didn't have a season ago. And I think that really helps. And uh, we'll probably talk about this later, but the PAC 12 just kind of took itself out of contention. So I, I certainly think Wisconsin's got a shot. I think I still would like to see a little bit more from Jack Cohn. I was really impressed with how he played statistics. Probably won't show it. I believe he threw for like 139 yards and have a touchdown. But he's made some really big-time plays when the time called for it. On Saturday, he had a couple runs that were really clutch. He kind of made things happen when he had to. I believe Barton Simmons tweeted this out on Saturday, but I kind of agree with it. He looks a little bit like a freshman year Jake Fromm. And I know Jack Cohn's a junior, but that's not a, that's not a bad thing if you're Wisconsin. Because that offensive front and Jonathan Taylor is more than good enough to carry the load much like Shawnee Michelle and Nick Chubb were for that Georgia team. Yeah. And that Wisconsin defense looks nasty. Yeah. I don't think Jack Cohn has to be anything more than like Jack Cohn. He can just, he can be, he can be the dink or dink and dunker. Just take care of the football, which is what Alex Hornibrook couldn't do last year. So yeah, Wisconsin, good for them. Uh, they were a college football playoff dark horse a year ago, had a disappointing season, but they've bounced back. Chris, the, the hot seat pendulum kind of swung a few different times it actually swung Friday night with USC beating Utah, kind of saving Clay Helton's heat for at least another week. They got to go to Washington uh, on Saturday. But the game you were at saw Auburn, thanks to a ferocious effort from its defensive line, uh, led by star senior Derek Brown. So Auburn beats Texas A&M in Kyle Field. Gus Malzahn's now 4-0. He's got, what, what would you say, Chris, the best two wins or the best pair of wins in college football. And I think if you're Auburn, I don't see uh, the, the hot seat noise has to stop. I don't know where it's coming from. Probably some old deranged boosters who want Bob Stoops, which makes no sense to me, but Auburn's <laughs> at least the third, you know, no worse than the third best team in the sec West. Gus Malzahn can beat Nick Saban. And now you've got wins over Oregon and a and I don't know how that's not good enough. Yeah, I completely agree. I didn't, I didn't quite understand those rumors bubbling up this week. I think I do it. I do know the little brother syndrome at Auburn is real, but it Auburn looked really good early in the season. Uh, I know Bo Nix wasn't perfect against Oregon, and they almost lost that game, but they found a way to win in a neutral side environment. Uh, yesterday they went on the road and like a CBS like national broadcast game mm-hmm. and won in a place that's really difficult to play in. They silenced that Texas A&M crowd of over a hundred thousand people really early in the game and they didn't let them get back into it until late in the fourth quarter. And Auburn, especially if kind of their offense grows alongside Bo Nix, you have a younger receivers, you have a young quarterback. They're going to get better as the season goes along. 
this is a team we've seen in the past, especially with a defense led by a guy like Derek Brown, who leads, I would argue, the best defensive line in the country. This is a team that could go on a run. And as we've seen before, a two-loss Auburn team could kind of put themselves in the mix for the college football playoff. And Auburn, with the games in front of them, which includes Florida, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, if you win two of those four and win the rest of your games and make the SEC championship and win that, you're going to probably be in the playoffs. So I think any talk of the hot seat just kind of needs to stop for a little while because Auburn's got a chance to do something really special this year. I'm not sure if it'll happen and we could change this conversation come November, but you gotta, you gotta take, you gotta stop talking about that for a little bit if you're in Auburn. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in the next two months. I don't even know if that's important. I just think the fact that Auburn's at four and the way they're playing, I think regardless of what happens the rest of the season, barring, you know, a calamity in which they go, you know, four, four and eight or something, which is clearly not going to happen. I think, I think Gus Malzahn should be good at this point. Uh, I'm using the hot seat theme to kind of swing around and then we'll get back to like a normal recap of games. Chris, do we want to go out West or do we want to go to the swamp where Jeremy Pruitt's Vols laid an egg? You know what? Let's go there. Uh, 34 to three. Uh, you, you don't want to go to the beach, man. Huh? You don't want to go to the beach, man. That's way more pleasant. Way yeah, more pleasant I, out there I in thought LA. You said beach man. I was like, who is beach man? Um, 34 it's to three. It's going to be Clay Helton potentially soon, but anyway. Well, but you know, let's, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Hold your horses. 34 to three Florida. Thanks to a bad, I mean, <laughs> Tennessee looked really bad. Uh, this was a 14 point line. <clears throat> I thought Tennessee would cover it. Florida's playing a backup quarterback, Kyle Trask, who I think fans are going to start. Like, uh, can't you see next year when Felipe Franks comes back? The Florida fans being like, we want Kyle Trask anyway, but that's a, a topic for another day. Uh, 34-3, Jeremy Pruitt also was not going to get fired. Much like Jim Harbaugh, the buyout's just too too big at like 9 or $10 million, and Tennessee's already paying too much in other buyouts. But this is really bad. This is this is their 1-3. and three. It probably should be 3-1. and one. And you're looking at a 3-9 and nine season maybe. Yeah, it's it's not good if you're in week four and the quarterback, Jack Garantano, that you expected to take a step gets benched midway through the game against a rival. Um, Steve Spurrier and uh, Philip Fulmer were on hand, obviously. Philip Fulmer is going to have a role to play over the next however many months with Jeremy Pruitt's future on hand. But it kind of it shows you how far Tennessee's fallen since uh, Fulmer was competing for national championships. And this was this was... An embarrassing loss. There's no question. I don't know if it was any loss worse than some of the losses Tennessee's had earlier in the year. I still look at uh, the loss to Georgia State as the most embarrassing portion of the schedule for uh, Tennessee. <laughs> and as you said, it's not going to get any better any sooner. They've got Georgia coming up after a bye week. They've got Alabama two weeks after that. And they've got Mississippi State sandwiched in between. So as you said, they really could be staring at one and six, one and seven. Uh, heading into November before they play UAB, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a really really long year on Rocky Top or at Rocky Top. Uh, I think recruiting and the freshmen that Tennessee is playing, guys like Henry Tootoo, could be a saving grace. But you're not gonna recruit well if you keep playing like this. So yeah, everything's you, kind of sliding the wrong way. Yeah, you recruit like you can you can go five and seven and still land a good recruiting class. If you're within the first few years of your coaching tenure, because you can say, look, we need you like come play for us. Yeah, we need you. But three and nine, 
when if Tennessee goes three and nine or four and eight, which is a massive step back in a year that schedule wise should have shaped up to at least be a bowl season. If they do that, the noise for Jeremy Pruitt's job heading into his third year is going to be so loud by December that it's going to be really hard to ink a top 20 recruiting class. And if you're not inking a top 20 national recruiting class, then SEC wise, you're, you're not inking a top 10 class in the conference and say what you want. You're not going to get it done. If you're not getting, if, if, if you're, if the talent you're bringing in isn't top 10 in the conference worthy, I mean, stuff is to say, I mean, you need, you need top five. So that was the saving grace for Jeremy Pruitt here is at least he's recruiting well. And the class last year was really good. Several five stars. Uh, Wes Rucker wrote yesterday at go balls two, four, seven. It's, you know, Jeremy Pruitt faces a conundrum here because the schedule is about to get tougher. Um, and you have a bevy of upperclassmen who Rucker believes really not good for the team culture wise, probably don't love football, but they're at least going to like be a little bit of a stoppage against Alabama and, and Georgia of the world, or you could play all the fresh who are going to get it beat worse than the upperclassmen who don't love football. And you could at least have something to build on, but you're probably going to lose like 63 to three to Alabama. So he's in a really tough spot. No one knows yeah, like Phil Fulmer kind of in the shadows here, Chris, as far as, you know, Pete Thamel at Yahoo wrote this morning, I guess, you know, Phil Fulmer, I and a the athletic director. Is he, is he trying to get himself one last run here? Uh, doubtful, but the fact that it's in the, in the cards at least is just insane. Let's bounce out to one more region for hot seat talk. And then we'll kind of run down the top 25 out in LA. USC, the Utah game was two days ago. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but Clay Helton lives the last, uh, at least another week. Chris, Chip Kelly. I think let's be honest and say we weren't up for the end of that one, but <laughs> he wasn't going to get fired this year, but they were down 32 points in the third quarter. UCLA was and comes back to shock Washington state shocked them 67, 63, the most UCLA Washington state game ever, as far as chip Kelly pulling a rabbit out of a hat and Mike Leach laying a massive goose egg on a night in which his quarterback threw four, nine touchdowns. Chris, you wake up and see the final score. What's your first thought? How did UCLA learn how to score? I guess playing Washington state's defense is helpful, but UCLA scored a total of 42 points in their first three games. And then they dropped uh, 67 uh, to come back in the second half. And I, I wasn't in bed by the time, uh, UCLA's comeback started. I believe they were at 42 to 12 or 42 to 13. I mean, uh, Washington state was early in the third quarter, but I was, I was kind of blown away by that final score. Uh, Washington state just kind of collapsed. If your quarterback throws nine touchdown passes and you lose, you know, you have a real issue on defense and that's, that's what the Cougars have had early in the year and throughout um, Mike Leach's tenure. So that kind of bit him again. But this maybe this is the type of win for UCLA that can uh, give some positive momentum for a program that's had very little of it early in Chip Kelly's tenure. Um, we have seen him kind of bat down questions about the blur and up-tempo offense and kind of spreading the ball around and letting his uh, really mobile quarterback 
B-Mobile, but uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson looked like who we expected him to be coming out of high school at Bishop Corman, which was a quarterback capable of stretching opponents with his legs while also making really dangerous throws with his arm. He finished with uh, 11 rushing or 11 attempts for 57 yards last night and two touchdowns to go along with 500 yards throwing to the air. And uh, I don't expect UCLA to turn this into a bowl uh, later in the season, but I certainly think it's a lot of positive momentum for a program and desperate need of it, both from an on the field perspective and in recruiting where UCLA sits somewhere in the sixties in the country nationally. So yeah, this was, this was huge for Chip Kelly. Yeah, Wazoo QB Anthony Gordon broke Gardner Minshew's record for school school record for touchdown passes in a game with nine. That's just insane. Mike Leach is like, I love his the tenure he's had in Pullman, and he's I love him. Uh, but it's almost kind of a you can chalk up he's going to lose the Apple Cup, and you can chalk up he's going to lose a game he shouldn't lose. I'm not shocked that UCLA won this game because Chip Kelly's been getting backed into a corner. I am surprised, though, given how dead the Bruins looked in the first three weeks of the season, that they would be able to rally well, dead, for such a comeback. Dead in, the, dead in the first half, they were getting destroyed early like, in the third quarter, and they and, and managed Chris, to come back. Chris, like, the way the team played the first three weeks, though, it looked like they didn't even care. And to, to, to rally 32 points tells me that I guess they're playing for their head coach or they were playing for something. They were playing for something that they weren't playing for in the first three weeks of September. I thought that was a good sign, but if you're the pac 12, this was not a good weekend because Utah loses Washington state loses Arizona state loses to Colorado. You're out of undefeateds. Oregon at least beat Stanford 21 to six. Actually, wait, well, Ka- Ka- Cal's Cal's undefeated. They, uh, they snuck by old Miss Sorry, by Cal. about a yard. Yeah. yeah. So Cal, Cal entered the day 20, uh, number 23 in the country, 28 and zero, I guess, you know, we can humor the, the Cal bears as a chance to go undefeated and, you know, make the playoff, but they're not going to do that. So essentially though, you, Chris, can you, what, what did you see the way, uh, Cal won that game against Ole Miss, uh, with the Pac-12 rest having another rough day? Like, yeah. I, I don't I don't quite understand how that was not a touchdown, but Cal did Ole, move on to stay undefeated. Ole Miss was in the end zone, and yeah, Cal or the the ref spotted at the one. Ole Miss kind of pu- pushed it in. There was, and they I didn't review it. Like yeah, there was I, no review at all, and the play clock just kind of went down. I hate when the final you know minutes of the game takes ten, but that's a case where you need to slow down and make sure you're getting it right. So Chris, Pac-12 not making the playoff, right? Yeah, it'd be a shock. I think it would require Oregon to run the table the rest of the way. To kind but even of give, then, uh, even then. I think there's a possibility. I mean, it wasn't too long ago we saw one loss Pac-12 team reach the playoffs Washington. And Oregon, with the loss to Auburn, at least has a quality loss at the last minute that shows they're capable of competing with the best teams in the country. I don't think it's likely. I think seeing two teams out of the SEC this year might be more likely than seeing one team out of the Pac-12 given the way LSU, Alabama, and Georgia are playing right now. But um, now that Notre Dame's kind of a little bit out of the picture, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute, but it means that the Pac-12 at least has a possibility of reaching the playoffs. And I think given what we've seen from the Big 12 early, there's a chance that league cannibalizes itself a little bit too because of how strong the uh, top uh, tier is along with the middle tier. So we could see some uh, crazy stuff happen in that league that opens the door for the Pac-12. I kind of lean with you there on uh, the Big Twelve cannibalizing itself. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's jump into our top twenty-five as far as Saturday's action went. We'll skip numbers one through two. Clemson beat Charlotte fifty-two to ten. They had their third stringers in by the fourth quarter. 
Alabama blew out Southern Miss. They survived the noon kickoff, Chris, two or three for five. All right. Georgia, Notre Dame, Georgia 23, Notre Dame 17. Georgia held on at the end. They played a little bit too conservatively for my liking. I thought they were going to blow Notre Dame out. So I guess I'll give some credit here for Notre, to Notre Dame. Uh, Ian Book wasn't necessarily efficient. Um, 29 for 47, had a, an inter, a few interceptions too. Um, but at least he made some plays. Uh, Chris, do we feel, I guess let's address Notre Dame's playoff chances first. Obviously, we believe this takes them out of it especially because the win over Michigan, should they get that later in the season, will not look as good? Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, the toughest two games on their schedule left are Virginia and Michigan, and Virginia almost lost to Old Dominion on Saturday. So I don't really think Notre Dame can really claim any particularly notable wins unless USC goes on a run that we're not expecting. Right. So, yeah, I would I would say a one-loss Notre Dame without a conference championship game is out of the playoff picture this year. But Notre Dame, I, I will give them credit, and this is something that's kind of dogged Brian Kelly for his entire tenure. They have not showed up in big games. That Notre Dame team did go to Athens and show up in a big way. And given the way Notre Dame has recruited recently, you have to feel good about that program's chances to contend in the future. Although I, I certainly think it would help them if they figured out a way to get into a conference so they had a conference championship game. But that's a, that's a topic for another yeah. day. But yeah, I think Notre Dame showed itself well. Uh, Georgia, do we feel better or worse about the dogs? Oh, I mean, better, unquestionably. Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't they have been a little bit more emphatic, a, though, Chris? I mean, they beat a top 10 team by a touchdown. I, I don't – I mean, I think in college football we expect these, like – elite teams to blow everybody out week to week. I think when you beat a team of Notre Dame's caliber at home by a touchdown, and it was, it was two scores for most of the fourth quarter. I think it's something you can really kind of hang your hat on. I, I still think you have questions with Georgia. That defensive front didn't generate a ton of pressure against Notre Dame and havoc. is something Kirby smarts heart on and hasn't been able to necessarily create the last two years. But what you saw is a wide receiver group that had a lot of questions step up. Jake Fromm had another really good game. Georgia's offensive front controlled the line of scrimmage. And I think when you win a game like this and kind of boost yourself in the non-conference portion of the schedule, you have to feel great. Yeah. Dan Wolken at USA Today wrote an interesting piece about Georgia's uh, conservative nature in big games and how it he kind of is, is worried about Kirby Smart's chops. In that regard, he made an interesting point. Well, I mean, didn't didn't Kirby have a uh, fake <laughs> a fake? That's uh, a good point. Punch yeah, that, the, the fake. Yeah, punch, uh, well, that wasn't conservative. Right, but uh, he kind of means Georgia takes the lead on teams against Alabama twice uh, in the last two years, and then Notre Dame, and then kind of grounds and pounds it, which is great. Great offensive line. DeAndre Swift as good as anyone in the country. But Jake Fromm, I believe, was very uh, hardly through it in the last few possessions for Georgia. Yeah. I, uh, I think there's after, certainly after, something after, to be said. No, go ahead. Yeah. I, just, I, 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 I think just there's think... certainly something. <laughs> go ahead, man. Okay. Uh, this is our first time doing this one. You got, I, I think, I think against the Clemson or in Alabama, I think Georgia would shoot itself in the foot. Um, if, if they, yeah. if they kind of, you know, slow it down and, and because, you know, two or Trevor Lawrence could, could do what Ian book probably couldn't. Well, I, I think there is something to be said about Jake Fromm. Uh, we talk about him as a potential first-round pick. I would like to see Kirby Smart kind of give more control to Jake Fromm in some of these big-game situations. I don't, I don't blame Georgia at all for leaning on your run game when you're up. But when you have a quarterback that we consider a top-ten passer in the country, maybe even top-five, 
you really have to let this upper class and take control of the offense. And I think hopefully later in the season, we'll uh, see Georgia maybe make some allowances for Jake Fromm in that way. And uh, I think that would raise Georgia's ceiling a little bit for sure. All right. LSU blast Vanderbilt 66, 38, Joe Burrow threw for six touchdowns. Uh, the injury watch for Michael divinity and Terrace Marshall uh, are really kind of the storylines for that game. We'll see what happens. Ohio state, Justin field, six touchdowns in the second quarter as they beat Miami, Ohio, 76, 76 to five. Ohio state is at Nebraska next week for college game day. Uh, we already talked to Auburn A and M already talked to Florida, Tennessee, Chris, Texas, 36, Oklahoma State 30. The Longhorns survived a war of attrition. Just about everyone of, of notable impact on the defensive side of the ball got hurt. This was close. Uh, Sam Ellinger did some Sam Ellinger Heisman level stuff. Uh, 20 for 28, 281 yards, four touchdowns, a massive third down run uh, on a bootleg to seal the game. And Oklahoma State has this vaunted offense that I think Texas actually shut down pretty well, Chris. They gave up three touchdowns and two of them were after muffed punts inside the red zone. So for Texas, you won the battle. Did you lose the war with all the injuries? Not sure. Any takeaway from that one? Yeah, I would say the quarterbacks made a difference. Spencer Sanders, uh, red shirt freshman, looks like a red shirt freshman at times last night. He threw two interceptions that were, uh, I wouldn't say egregious, but weren't smart decisions. And I think having Texas having that junior quarterback uh, with as much experience Sam has uh, really helped in this game. And this is a big win for Texas. Like I, people probably will dismiss it nationally. Oklahoma state wasn't ranked, but this is the first time in four years, Texas has beaten Oklahoma state. And historically, if you just look season by season, uh, since Mike Gundy arrived in Stillwater, the years Texas beat Oklahoma state is a really good indicament on where the Longhorns are. Um, if Texas, if that kind of continues, Texas might be in a position to compete for a national championship this year, maybe a little Ooh. sooner than people expect. Well, and like, I know that sounds bold, <laughs> but I know that sounds bold, but like this was probably the second toughest test for Texas in the Big 12 after Oklahoma. And beating Oklahoma State for this Texas program is just huge. I think it's a big momentum boost. And I don't know if Texas is going to get there this year. It might be a year early, but this is a team after based on what we saw against LSU and this week against Oklahoma state good enough to at least compete for a playoff spot. I have no questions about that after four weeks. Yeah. The, the Sooners are off this weekend. Um, looks like they have a date against destiny versus Texas and Dallas on October 12th. The Longhorns are off next week and then have a trip to West Virginia, which is not very good. Uh, Chris UCF's 27 game regular season win streak was snapped. Uh, by Pittsburgh, thanks to uh, the Pitt special. Pat Narduzzi kind of needed that one. They were in danger of going one and three with sort of brutal uh, lemon pucker losses in back-to-back weeks of Penn State and UCF, who they had a large lead on. The Knights reeled off 21 points in the third quarter. Any takeaway from here? Are we sad for UCF? Are we happy for Pitt? How do you feel? I mean, I'm a little sad for UCF. This was a really fun run in the regular season. And I think there's going to be a lot of UCF haters that come out of the woodwork today, kind of uh, taking a dump on what uh, the Knights have done over the last three years. But I would point out they're five and two against the Power Five during that stretch. The only losses they had came to LSU and Pitt, which uh, Pitt, people might forget, won the... Uh, ACC division, oh, a division championship in the ACC last year in the Atlantic. So 
this is a pretty good pit team that pushed Penn State a week ago. Let's not forget what UCF did during this run. And I don't think we've heard the last of UCF by any stretch. This team could well still be in the mix for a New Year's Six Bowl by the end of the year. So good for the Knights and good for Pitt, which really, which really, really needed that victory. I saw a lot of Twitter jokes. You know, UCF obviously always gets kind of sh- uh, slided in the college football playoff discussion. Uh, a lot of jokes that at least now the Knights have a quality loss. <laughs> Which is, you know, what every kind of team who has a who has a loss likes to trump up in the SEC. Yeah, it was ho hum, but Oregon and Oregon's going to take that, uh, considering what happened last year against Stanford. Oregon beat Stanford twenty-one to six. Justin Herbert provided all three of those touchdown passes. Oregon's kind of sleeping through. Uh, we're kind of sleeping on Oregon, but yes, if the Pac-12 is going to make the playoff, it's going to be between Oregon and Washington. I'm excited for that game coming up. Chris, Virginia held off Old Dominion, uh, which is nice because last year their rival Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion. I'm sure they've spent about a calendar year making fun of them for it. So that would have been a pretty uh, pretty crummy loss to have. But that's 28-17. Didn't watch that one. Uh, Washington beat BYU 45-19. to Jacob Eason had four incompletions and three touchdowns. BYU, Chris, was coming off that, that gauntlet. Tennessee, USC. Utah in week one, Washington. Now you kind of had a feeling they'd run out of steam. Washington is really uh, bouncing back after that, uh, that week two loss to Cal that doesn't look as bad anymore. Yeah, I, I certainly think Washington had to bounce back pretty strongly after that. Uh, Jacob Eason looked terrible in that game and the offense in general looked bad against Cal. I, I would say Justin Wilcox has made a lot of uh, offenses look bad historically. But uh, Washington, I, I don't, I don't want to say Washington's out of the playoff mix. I would be surprised if Washington kind of reinserts itself there. But having Jacob Eason play as efficiently as he did against BYU is a really good sign. And I think it's an even better sign for a young Cougars defense or for a young Huskies defense Huskies. that they shut down the Cougars. Yeah, young Huskies defense that shut down the Cougars because that defense had, had some questions coming into the year. And uh Mormon Johnny Wilson over there has had a, a lot of success or, or Johnny Manziel has had a lot of success <laughs> early in the year. If you're going to make it and, make uh, a nickname joke, you have to do it correctly, Chris. Uh, let's give some yeah, praise though, back to Cal. It's been a long day. Yeah, let's go. Oh, it's, it's still early. Uh, let's give a little quick praise to Cal. Chase Garbers, their quarterback, like is someone who I would consistently regard as one of the worst power five quarterbacks out there. And maybe the cheese at bowl stamped that for me, but he had four touchdowns in that win over Ole Miss and they won by 20, you know, 28, 20. So good for him. Colorado beat Arizona state. Um, you know, not the PAC 12 cannibalizing itself and then rounding out the top 25 action. Yikes. BYR TCU loses by three to SMU. Uh, 41-38, Sugar Shane Bouchelle throws for two touchdowns. A Texas transfer takes it to TCU. You wrote about SMU in College Football Overtime. You really like what uh, Sonny Dykes is doing with this roster, uh, 4-0. Chris, they've kind of used the transfer portal to turn things around quickly in Dallas. Yeah, they had, I believe, 15 transfers this offseason come in via the portal, and uh, I believe five of them are former four-star players. That's uh, four more four-star players on their roster than they had all of last season. And I think that staff at SMU has done a really good job recruiting Dallas, trying to stamp themselves as the team of Dallas. Uh, I don't know if anybody watched, but they had some uniforms the last two weeks that say Dallas on the front that are fire. I think it's a really good look. It should be the permanent uniform there. But uh, Sonny Dykes, who had a run of success, at least a moderate run of success at Cal, 
has a lot of Texas roots. Um, seems like he's going to be a really good fit in Dallas, given the staff he's hired. And if this team keeps it up, they could be the uh, kind of the team to watch out of the AAC this year. Uh, this team can score. It's getting better defensively, and uh, their receiving corps uh, is one of the best. I would argue it's as good as anybody in the lower tier power five and perhaps some of the better wow. units in the upper tier power five. It's it's really good. James Porsche, Porsche particularly is an elite receiver and Reggie Robertson, who is a uh, power five transfer himself has had a really strong early year. So yeah, I'm, I'm really liking what SMU's done so far. And this was the toughest game on their schedule. So it could be a really, uh, really strong year for the Mustangs. Well, speaking of the American, as we look quickly toward week five, got this slate up here. Navy plays Memphis as college football kind of gets back on the Thursday slot. You were a really interesting piece last year um, on what happened to Thursday night football. So if anyone wants to know that, just, you know, Google what happened to Thursday night football, Chris Hummer, and it'll come up. But uh, Navy plays Memphis as far as Saturday's slate goes. Well, we get to see Oklahoma in action against Texas tech. We're going to get Clemson hosting or Clemson's at a North Carolina team that we should mention lost to Appalachian state on Saturday. So the Mac Brown magic has kind of faltered, but we'll always have the wins over Miami and South Carolina, won't we? Um, Virginia is at Notre Dame. Notre Dame cannot spend too much time on that loss to Georgia because Virginia is pretty good. USC at Washington, Chris, outside of you know Nebraska, Ohio State, which I think is you know a really great showcase for Justin Fields. I think USC Washington has a, a ton of implications as far as. Clay Helton's status and you know the the Pac-12 playoff hopes. Have I left anything out as as we kind of wind down here? As far as you know, any week four observations you want to get off your chest? Anything about you know th- that we need to be thinking about as we head into week five? You know, leave anything out, man? I think we covered it all. Shane Bouchelle, uh goes to play the Fighting Charlie Strong's next week. I know we're probably spending a little too much time in SMU, so that's interesting. Uh, I think you're going to add us both as Texas grads right now. So, uh, (laughs) I can't help it. I live in Austin, but, uh, yeah. So it was a strong week four, a lot of really important games and, uh, week five is not quite at that level of strength in terms of interest, but I think we're going to find out a lot about the PAC 12 next week when Washington plays USC. And I think we're going to find a lot about Scott Frost next week when, uh, Lincoln kind of holds post college game day and they play the Buckeyes. Uh, Nebraska needed a massive performance from Wandale Robinson, who uh, you've written as a 24-7 sports true freshman of the week to come back and beat Illinois. Yeah, and uh, I think this is probably the best team we've seen Ohio State player this year. So it'll be a really intriguing matchup for both programs. And uh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna know a lot about Ohio State next week, which will be nice to see because uh, we just found out a lot about Michigan and it wasn't good. So now it's the Buckeyes' turn. That's a good way to put a bow on that, Chris. Uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, we ask that you do one thing this week to help us build our audience, whether that's telling a friend or family m- member about the show or leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, for Chris Hummer, I'm Trey Scott. Barring some massive breaking news, we're going to take Monday off, but we will be back on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, 
and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.